Welcome to Behind the Screens. I'm Ryan Preventure from Movio. I'm Matthew Lieben from Vista Group. And I'm Simon Burton from Numero. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you, Simon. I hear um, everything was completely smooth, no hiccups at all while I was gone. Yeah, we missed an episode, but hey, you know, these <laughs> things happen. But speaking of impossible missions, like recording a podcast, ugh. <laughs> we've got eye rolls. We've got eye rolls on the podcast. We did have the, the first um, edition of Dead Reckoning, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which I did go and see in 40X while I was away. Um, I'd done D-Box before. 40X was insane. Um, it was like a roller coaster ride, and we didn't think that car chase, that 15-minute car chase in the, the Fiat was ever going to end. I got blown on. I got water Sorry? spat at me. The seat rocked around all over the, the place. Quite a car it, was, it was kind of insane. But yeah, I just um, I'm going to take out I'm going to take that out to see the King's Speech next time. I think with with wind and water and juddering, I think that'll be an outstanding 40x film. Mm. Okay, terrific. Why don't we jump into the, the the box office grosses for Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One this past weekend? Uh, domestically, the three day weekend of fifty six point two million dollars. The five day weekend taking eighty million dollars with another $155 million from 70 international markets, led by Korea, the UK, and India, for a worldwide opening weekend of $235 million, which is the biggest global start for the Mission Impossible franchise, despite a relatively weak, it must be said, China result of only $25.4 million versus the previous one, which did approximately $75 million opening weekend in China. This is the biggest opening weekend in the Mission Impossible franchise in 35 markets, uh, including United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, India, Netherlands, and Scandinavia. IMAX also delivered $14 million, making it the biggest international opening for the Mission Impossible franchise at IMAX. So that's going to be um, a bit of a, a loss for them coming up this week then, Simon, with Oppenheimer. We were talking before the pod that this was one of the motivating factors for its earlier start through the week, the number of days of previews. Do you think that as a result of that, that we're seeing a natural box office spread differently? Or is this, you know, an unfair five-day comparison versus three days? How are you looking at that box office? Well, I think that the actual release date and the previews fluctuated greatly all around the world. Uh, I think a number of markets, there was sort of four, five, six days worth of previews before the actual official release date. Um, so they certainly, that certainly drove that that large box office result, uh, which has all been reported in that, that opening weekend. Yeah. And, you know, there has been some feedback that the results were a little disappointing. I, I tend to disagree when you look at the franchise and you look at the international results, but it feels like any comparison against Maverick in particular um, was, was you know, on false grounds right from the start. I think so. Yeah, I think that's a pretty unfair comparison to put it up against Maverick. But, yeah, $235 million in its first, uh, first weekend is, is pretty impressive. And, you know, when you look at the way the audiences have responded, you know, with an A cinema score, and one of the few times that on Rotten Tomatoes both the reviewers and the audiences have had very similar scores, 96% for the reviewers, 94% for the audience, Hopefully this has got legs to keep it going as well. The word of mouth will be terrific. Um, Ryan, why don't we turn to the audience and tell us who came and who might still be to come? Yeah, one thing I noticed was at the end of our screening, 
they were people that applauded, which was which was really kind of nice. It was you don't see that terribly often in movies uh, as of late, and it was nice to just see an audience really enjoy the film. When we did our comparisons, it was it was really what you would expect in terms of a little bit of the age demographics. Some of the comps were the newest Indiana Jones, Style of Destiny, The Last Mission Impossible, Fallout, Top Gun from last year, No Time to Die, The Flash, Fast X, actually Oppenheimer, because we've got some tickets sold for that, and John Wick Chapter 4. And what you see with with these audiences, first of all, they're action films, right? They're action-adventure films. But what you're also seeing is a number of these films are appealing to a little bit of an older audience, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But if you look at the frequency, uh, we compared, actually, I should say, to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So for the first one, in frequency was 31% compared to 42% for Dial of Destiny. So a little bit less in the people that don't come all that often. That could be a good and bad thing because you do want the infrequence to come to come back and kind of turn those into frequent moviegoers, but we need those to still be high because you want those people that haven't been in a while. Occasionals were 34% for both. So the same there for Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones. The frequents were 30 for Mission Impossible compared to 22% for Indiana Jones, and the very frequents were five compared to three. So reasonably close, but the people who tended to come out, some of the audience might have been some of the ones from Indiana Jones who had seen it and then went and saw Mission Impossible a week or two later. What we did see is that it was a bit of an older audience that came out. The 24 to 34s were 12% compared to 8% for Indiana Jones. The 35 to 44 were 15 to 13%. Then we start to see the numbers get a little higher. The 45 to 54 were almost the same for Mission Impossible than Indiana Jones at 20 to 21%. The 55 to 64 were both 22%. And the 65 plus were 20% for Mission Impossible compared to 22% for Indiana Jones. So again, you're seeing a little bit of the older audience. And what what I want to reiterate with that is that, that those numbers kind of indicate that you know, people uh, 45 and older tended to go see this movie. That audience, as a general, for the past decade or so, maybe even longer, we've noticed, don't necessarily come out on opening weekends. So it will be interesting with Oppenheimer coming out and things like that. Are we still going to see that demographic start to come out a little bit more? And should exhibitors be promoting to that demographic because this is something that might appeal to them for a franchise that in television has been going on for many, many decades? But has been going on as a film franchise since the 90s. We did see a a male-dominated audience. Females were 33% for Mission Impossible compared to 41% for Indiana Jones. And what was interesting was the ethnicity was a little more mixed for Mission Impossible compared to Indiana Jones. Never a bad thing when you have an audience of all different kinds of people going to see it. So I would say that if if you're trying to market the second week of this film, certainly attempting to maybe try to reach two audiences, try to see if you can get those younger people to go see the film, but also that core audience of the older audience, trying to get them to see it as well, because they maybe didn't want to see it on the opening weekend. Yeah, they're really good points. And it feels like um, the female audience might be an opportunity as well, if it's underperforming a little bit there. I mean, having seen the film, there's the halo effect of Tom Cruise, who, as we often say, looks great for 61. Um, But there are three very strong female leads in the film as well. So maybe there's an opportunity in marketing to showcase the breadth of story um, and try and pull that audience also. Um, One of the things that, you know, we were looking uh, and trying to assess is 
how does this compare to Fallout? And while the film released on different days, and it is a little bit of apples and oranges, at least domestically after five days, the two films are neck and neck. But one of the things that jumped out to me is the reported production cost. Uh, Dead Reckoning has a reported production cost uh, before marketing and distribution of $290 million, whereas just five years ago, uh, Fallout came in at 178 mil. Even adjusted for inflation, that's 216 mil. So this is a significantly more expensive film. Now, part of that, of course, was having to factor in the cost of COVID delays and and uh, filming through COVID uh, protocols. And of course, the money is on the screen for anyone who sees it, um, every sense up there. But it just seems that these franchises, not just this, but Fast Exit, 340 mil reported production cost, India, 300 mil, even Little Mermaid at a quarter of a billion dollars and Elemental at 200 million. I can't help but wonder if these costs are sustainable going forward. Um, and of course, we're now in an environment where two of the leading guilds are on strike, the actors and the writers. And of course, these strikes are all about the minimums, you know, the people that most won't get recognized on the street, uh, not the stars and, and the major writers. It doesn't even feel like this would be enough to rebalance the, the return on investment matrix. And I don't know whether you guys saw it today, but Barry Diller, who was formerly one of the senior Paramount execs, was calling for the CEOs of the studios, as well as the leading actors to take 25% pay cuts. I don't know whether that's the right move, but I feel at least dollar-wise, it's going to be more impactful than raising the health benefits or minimum wages of the lowest paid entry roles in the industry. I would, I would comment on two things. First of all, all of those things have to be talked about. They just do. You know, I mean, everything, whether it's, whether it's pay or things like that, you know, the, the people who are paid the least need to be heard and they're, they're clearly not being heard right now. Right. The one thing I would talk about dead reckoning is I'm not sure how much of the cost is just this first film and how much of the second installment was part of that first cost. So there might, when you look at that, you know, locations and things like that the second part might some of the second part might have been shot during the first part and that was part of the budget i don't know exactly how budgets all work so it might be interesting to see if it actually is in fact as expensive as as they're kind of saying or if some of that is all thrown into this is the dead reckoning part one and two combined so that's a good point because i know some of them were filmed that just simply because of locations right you have, if you're at the same location and and for two separate installments you're going to shoot it so so dead reckoning uh, by all accounts, is is a resounding success, and we'll see how its legs uh, hold up coming into next week. But Simon, uh, can you take us around the traps at some of the other films that earned box office over the past weekend? Oh, absolutely, Matthew. Looking at the domestic market in second position, Sound of Freedom with a, an incredible result, $27 million this past weekend, which is up 37% from the previous weekend, bringing it to a domestic cum of $85 million. Now, it did add about 400 screens this past weekend, um, but even taking that into account, the, the screen average was up about 30% on the previous week. So, uh, yeah, really interested to see where that, that film ends up with its uh, with a domestic cum. Other holdovers this past week, Insidious, The Red Door, in its second week, $13 million at the domestic box office, a drop of 66% for a cum of $58 million. Uh, a worldwide cum of $122 million. Indiana Jones passed $300 million in its worldwide cum this past weekend. 
And Elemental in week five continues its terrific run, only dropping 13% of domestic box offices past weekend, taking $8.7 million and bringing its worldwide QM to $312 million. That's great. So one of the things I did want to point out is, I guess this summer there's been a lot of reports of films not quite doing what was expected coming in. I mean, prior to summer, I think we were exceeding. But I think we spent a lot of time looking at individual titles and maybe not at the market as a whole. And so one of the things I wanted to point out is this current weekend is up 9% on 2019 when the top film in the market was Spider-Man Far From Home. And we're now up 13% up year to date on prior year domestically and 21% down on 2019, having caught up a few points. So the industry's certainly not back. I guess there are challenges ahead, the strike notwithstanding. But I think sometimes we have to take a step back and, and look at the market as a whole. And there are certainly some things to celebrate as we continue through summer. And I think that uh, that's all flowing into this weekend with Barbie and Oppenheimer both opening uh, Mission Impossible, hopefully having a really strong hold. Uh, looking at the pre-sales for, for Barbie, they're, they're off the chart. At, at this point, um, the pre-sales for Barbie are well ahead of Guardians 3, Super Mario Brothers and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So I'm not quite sure where that will, will end up over this opening weekend, but it, it's uh, looking like it's going to be an enormous result for Barbie and also Oppenheimer. Their, their pre-sales are off the chart as well, being ahead of a couple of those films as well. So I'm not going to be so bold to say that they'll they'll both be over the $100 million mark, but um, you could certainly make a case for it looking at the pre-sales at the moment. Yeah, and looking at those three titles, I think you know maybe Mission and Oppenheimer have a bit of an audience overlap, but those two, and even something like Elemental as the family film ticking around in the five spot this weekend, it's a diverse market. And I think it's really a market, as you say, Simon, we should be looking at in aggregate. I got to see Barbie last night and it is off the chart bonkers. And at this point, it's my favorite film of the year. I wouldn't have expected that going in. Um, I'm lucky enough to go see Oppenheimer tonight. So my, my number one film might change uh, within 24 hours, but it's a, an incredible film to see. We've got a lot to look forward to. We're looking forward to actually sharing our insights on Barbie and Oppenheimer next week. We hope you all have a great rest of the week and uh, we'll see you next time on Behind the Screens. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna.